This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. Welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast, issue 629. Yes, this issue, this episode sounds a little bit different uh, because we're doing the show a little bit different this week. Uh, we've got a, uh, a discussion topic. We've got an interview coming up this week. And, of course, everybody else is out at work or Matthew, who I thought was going to be here, is not here. Um, but uh, so it's just going to be me and my guest today. Uh, today's topic is rather interesting because it follows up on a conversation that I had with you, our fine listeners around the world. Uh, a few weeks ago on the Finally Friday show, uh, the episode is called Let's Do Evil. And I would like to, because I know a lot of you have not probably listened to that uh, show or watched that show because it's on our YouTube channel, Major Spoilers Video. Uh, I'd like to kind of bring some of that conversation back in as a lead in to what Dr. Peter Coogan and I are going to be talking about. So uh, one of our more popular podcasts, uh, top five podcasts, has been our top five other podcasts where Zach and I sat down and we were listing off other podcasts that we listen to that are not part of Frog Pants or not part of the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. And recently I had to unsubscribe from one that I was listening to. And it wasn't because of poor production quality or anything like that. But uh, and without giving the name of the show away, it is about this company. It's essentially a take on Night Vale, but essentially it's about this company that does not so good things. And they put their podcast out in in a form of like a weekly uh, audio address to all of their shareholders. And the problem that I have with it is every week the chairman of the board is like, hey, we continue to do evil here at XYZ Company. And I was like, is that how is that how? Companies think, is that how individuals think? I mean, is that how it works in fiction? I mean, does Lex Luthor get up in the morning and say, Welp, today I'm gonna do evil. Do 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 and goes off and does evil. I don't I don't think so. I mean, does Rachel Ghoul does he get up in the morning and say, Today I'm gonna do evil? I I don't think he does. I mean, Magneto does not wake up in the morning and say, Let's do evil. From Magneto's point of view, he is saying, hey, I'm going to do something for the Homo Superior. Let's get rid of all those Homo Sapiens. So from the Homo Sapiens standpoint, we all think of Magneto as evil, but from his standpoint, he's perfectly fine. Rachel Ghoul is kind of the same way, right? He wants to save the planet. He's kind of this eco-terrorist kind of guy, or we put the word terrorist on there. He wants to save the planet, control the planet, but in order to do so, he needs to wipe out like nine-tenths of the population to do so. I don't think I mean, there are companies in the real world that we may perceive as incredibly evil, that what they do is just wrong and terrible. And I don't think the company gets up in front of its stockholders and say, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we continue to do evil each and every week, dialing down those Internet traffics or pumping out these things into the air. Companies don't do that. 
So why is it then in comic books that we have characters, and maybe it's just poor writing, but why then do we have characters that are just like, I am evil. I mean, Lex Luthor isn't evil. He would never have become president of DC Comics, not DC Comics, of the United States and DC Comics, if he went around telling everyone he's evil. He runs a multi-billion dollar company. He wouldn't be where he is in the fictional world if he was talking about doing evil all the time. And that's where we get into this discussion this week on moral pornography. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, joining me today is Dr. Peter Coogan, who's the director of the Institute for Comic Studies. He's the co-founder and the co-chair of the Comics Arts Conference, which is taking place in just a couple of weeks at the San Diego Comic-Con. Dr. Peter Coogan, welcome back to the show. Hey, Stephen. Good to be here. Thank you. So why is it that Lex Luthor, I mean, uh, or in this case, this podcast where the evil corporation is saying we're doing evil. <laughs> why is why is that OK with a lot of people? Yet we don't see. People like that in the real world going around saying I'm doing evil, you know, someone who robs a bank is not saying I'm going to go do evil today. He's like, well, there's something that I want. I'm going to go take it by any means necessary. Yeah. And even when people do things that are sort of unmitigatedly evil, right. um, pedophiles, they're sure. not, they're not doing it to be evil. You know, they, they, are not actually doing it to harm the child. Right. The idea is they're, they're doing it to get some pleasure out of it. Um, Louis CK had a, a funny bit on Saturday Night Live about, you know, for, for, for pedophiles, that must be so great because why would they take all the risks and all the trouble and so forth? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then there's so there's that question about about the real world and there, there's a question about how what is the usefulness of depicting these things in fiction and mm-hmm. that that podcast you're talking about which I I don't recognize um, I think it's it's something that actually my daughter wonders about my daughter wants to see the villain win once in a while mm, interesting um, she's actually watching there's a show that just came on. With uh, Aubrey Plaza, it's a uh, um, it's an, a cartoon, um, the insatiable. Um, uh, I can't think of what it is, mm, okay. um, but it's a it's a cartoon show. It's on Hulu, and it's about this demon and this little goth girl. Oh, okay, um, and so they set out to do evil evil things, but of course he's a demon, and, right? And it's, right. It's it's played for laughs and so forth. But the idea. Is that um, I think these things? This is a, a, an argument that John Coelty makes in Adventure, Mystery, and Romance. And uh, I'm going to apologize for footnoting, but hey, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> that's great. That's what makes these discussions, I think, more interesting because you're using academic uh, research and studies to make the arguments. Yeah, the, the function of villains in formulaic structures is to express, explore, and to finally reject those actions that are forbidden but which because of uh, cultural patterns are strongly tempting. So we, we like to see the portrayal of villains as, uh, um, as villainous because it gives us a chance. It's tempting. We all want to kind of reach beyond the, the, the morality that we're growing up in, the, the strictures that we have, the, the constrictions, the restrictions um, on us and explore something else. And so that is one of the things that 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 fantasy allows us to do. And and John Quilty actually talks about what he calls moral fantasy, mm. the idea that the universe is governed by a benevolent moral principle. 
right? It's not a tragic or naturalistic world because we're confident that no matter how violent or meaningless things seem on the surface, right things will ultimately happen. And and that's he sets up two kinds of of literature: formulaic um, or escapist, and mimetic or um, realistic. Uh, mm, and these are kind mm-hmm. of a high, a low, high thing. But right, the idea right. is that in in mimetic literature, mimesis, imitation, it imitates life, and and ordinary life is confusing. Uh, there isn't there isn't clearly marked good and evil. People, um, there doesn't seem to be any particular meaning inherent to life. And so when you're when you're reading or exploring uh, mimetic works, it, it's really to get a sense of of yourself. And get a sense of how the world operates and, and, and that and to just kind of explore those real emotions. Formulaic literature, on the other hand, acts as a kind of soothing – it's a, kind of a mythic massage that, that we live in a world that makes sense and works. And it's soothing because if, if you didn't believe that the world made sense in some way, if you didn't have some way of doing it, this is why – one of the reasons why religion is very attractive because mm-hmm. religion says there is this force that you can't see directly, but you might be able to perceive indirectly that is going to order the universe and it's going to explain things. It's going to give you meaning. The The worst thing that you can do to a dog is not let the dog know where it is in the pack, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. In a pack, a, a dog has to get a sense of, okay, am I above this dog or below this dog. The same thing is true of, of you know, of apes. And and when you confuse a dog, there's a there's a story. Uh, my wife does um, research on, on on dogs and literature and so forth. And there's a story she came across about um, a woman who wanted everything to be fair between her three dogs. So she they all got fed at the same time. She didn't privilege any of them. Well, one they ended up killing each other wow. because. It was so disruptive mm-hmm. to not know their place, to not have a structure in the world that they had to fight. So interesting because, you know, I don't know if you've seen Jurassic World yet, but that knowing your place kind of thing is is kind of one of the key points of the story where there is a dinosaur that has been caged up, never exposed to anyone else. And when it does escape. It needs to figure out what's my place in this world. Mm-hmm. Let me keep attacking and killing things until I find something that can stop me. Yeah. And we, we feel this all over when you're in a new situation. Think about it. you're at a new job. You're mm-hmm. at a new school, right? Which table are you going to sit at? And as soon as you recognize the click you're in or someone welcomes you over, you feel reassured. Right. So, the having the uh, the evil corporations say we're going to go out and do evil is is an exaggeration, right? right? Right. But it's an exaggeration that connects, and this is the the Pizarro, the point made by the Pizarro and Baumeister article on on superhero comics as moral pornography. That it's it's they're moral tales on steroids, right? Mm. That they have you can clearly tell who is good and who is evil, easily identified moral agents with unambiguous intentions. So with that, I mean, uh, comic books came out in 1938, right? So Mm -hmm. even before that, though, we had to know who was good and who was evil. And, you know, before comic books uh, or sequential, I mean, we certainly had uh, uh, editorial cartoons that would poke fun at the uh, government peoples and, and whatnot. But silent films 
seemed to be in my mind, this idea of where the over the top vil- uh, super or villain comes into play. Because if you look at some of those melodramas, which is where, you know, the uh, where those types of films come from, you had a guy with a black hat and a mustache and he's twirling it and he's trying to take advantage of the young lass until the hero comes in and saves the day. And the villain is super over exaggerated because number one, these are silent films. So it was very easy for them to travel all over the world and people who are non English speaking uh, peoples could understand what was going on, but just maybe almost to uh, hit a, you know, put a finer point on it or just smack people over the head. Let's make this a super over exaggerated bad guy. Mm -hmm. And I, I find, I find that very, very fascinating that, you know, we can kind of see this. Maybe it goes back even, I don't know, further into like uh, Greek theater and, and, and whatnot. But it, it seems like when we look at bad and when we're trying to depict bad or even good, that we have to go to super extremes for it. Yeah. And that goes back to uh, Christian morality plays, definitely, where there is virtue and vice with the names mm-hmm. of the characters. And mm-hmm. Pizarro and uh, Baumeister actually talk about um, uh, silent films and the exaggeration. And uh, that's we talked about a little bit in the Nazi um, right, episode right. last time, where mm-hmm. the the advantage of Nazis as supervillains is that ordinarily you bad guys are not in real life um, bad guys are not are not unambiguously marked right easily identifiable right, right. moral agents with unambiguous in, intentions. But in World War II, the Nazis were clearly marked right they had a Mm -hmm. a swastika as a symbol and Mm -hmm. they had unambiguous intentions conquest and as we ultimately found out genocide but that is a thing that happens all the time in comics and and pizarro and baumeister argue that we have an innate desire to morally judge right that that there's a there's a there is a evolutionary reason for this is that if you get good at picking who is your friend and who is your foe, who tells the truth, who lies, who is good and who is bad, that's going to have an evolutionary advantage for you, Mm. right? And that because of that, that judging, the act of judging is pleasurable. Um, They talk about studies. uh, We're sort of hardwired to be ethical creatures. And when you judge someone – it activates a part of your brain that gives you pleasure. Interesting. Now, I think I think that I just saw something online in the last week or so where they were talking about uh, not uh, just we can say Internet harassment mm-hmm. um, that. Internet harassment, actually, it's not people just trying to be mean to be mean, but it actually kicks on some pleasure center in the head. Mm-hmm. Of anyone who criticizes online, especially from that anonymous standpoint, because it's that and it sounds very much like what you're saying, this moral judgment mm-hmm. that we're putting onto people. Absolutely. And and John Ronson just wrote a book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Ah, and maybe that's where ex, it was coming that's from. Probably what you're thinking. of. Okay. It came out um, end of March. And so he's been on social media. He's been on, um, you know, uh, it's. I find things pop up in the New Yorker, the Atlantic, mm-hmm. NPR. You know, it's this yeah, yeah. fresh air. It's it's this kind of round of things where I'll encounter a book, and I'll get four or five or six interviews and reviews of it, and and I have a pretty good sense of the book without having read it because yeah. I come across it multiple places. <laughs> but yeah, the idea is that um, well, basically, you know the uh, you know Avenue Q. 
Yes. Yeah, you're the the what is the internet for? It's for porn. Porn. I mean, and no, it, it's for other things, no, but no, also it's porn. For porn. <laughs> um, but the point is here that you know, it's it's moral pornography essentially mm-hmm. of its own. That that you your when you jump on someone, someone has done something horrible, and we we all feel whether we whether we post to Twitter, we all feel this. You know, the the that that police officer down in Texas who who grabbed the kids out of the pool right, and right. sat on the one we. You know, it's great to just say, "What a horrible person!" You know, mm-hmm. I would, I would never do that. And and because of that, you feel superior. But you actually, according to uh, Pizarro and Baumeister, the studies they they cite, you, your the the centers of your brain associated with pleasure and reward are active when individuals receive fair treatment, and areas of the brain associated with pain and distress are active when they are treated unfairly. So, pain and pleasure. Our reaction to the moral behaviors of others, and so the 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 so pleasure if, that you get out of judging other people mm-hmm. is, according to them, it has a, a physiological basis. Okay, so then, if we're reading a comic book or watching a television show, and you know, just take any comic book that is you know your your very superhero formula story, it starts with a burglar robbing a, a bank and mm-hmm. you think eh, this guy's not so you know this guy's bad he's not doing a good thing but you don't get you don't derive a lot of pleasure from reading the story about the guy robbing the bank mm-hmm. but as the series or as the issue progresses suddenly we find out that this guy is working for evil dr doom or lex luthor or whoever else the joker and suddenly we're like, oh, that guy, look at all the evil things that he's doing. Ah, this is terrible. I'm glad I'm not that guy. Yeah. And so therefore our pleasure centers kick in because of, it almost seems like it's almost a reverse thing because we're judging the level of evilness that someone is doing, quote unquote evilness. Uh, the greater we judge how bad they are, the greater our pleasure centers are. Right. Yeah. Is that essentially what they're saying? Uh, that yeah, that's basically what they're saying. Okay. And so you they they talk about they ask why why do we like the Joker? Why do we you know why do we like these horrible horrible people? And it's mm-hmm. because the worse they are, the more clearly they're marked. Mm-hmm. The greater our sense of indignation, the greater our sense of judgment. And then when they're defeated, the greater the sense of the moral fantasy right that mm. that we live in a universe that is ordered and structured and ultimately makes sense and that is knowing our place having a place having a universe that makes sense that is a really basic function you know there's yeah so uh, i guess then to follow up then is that why uh, and i won't say a lot of people but many people look at superman and go He's just not that exciting. I mean, he's all powerful, all goody goody, and blah. What what fun is that? I don't derive any pleasure from reading Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's because um, be- with I mean, he's good. So we're just like, I want to be like Superman. Yeah, and I don't derive pleasure from morally judging Superman, who is someone I want to be like. I don't want to look in that mirror and say, "Hey, look, I'm Superman, or I'm doing good, or or whatever." Yeah, and there's no with, with Superman. It, it's much more difficult for him to overcome temptation although he has to in reality uh and this is what smallville was about mm-hmm. he has to overcome temptation all the time right he has to over- but his temptation is to say 
that's it. You're done. I'm taking over. Right. Whereas with, with Batman or um, I've just been watching Daredevil on Netflix. Right. right. Yeah. And there, you know, he, he drops, he drops this Russian guy off the, off the roof and it feels very satisfying, but it backfires on him. Right. And he has to learn restraint, but when he has to learn restraint, it's over a much more visceral thing. And it's much more to, – to, there's that tension. You know, one of the reasons that, that Superman has a problem is, you know, for drama, you need conflict. Mm-hmm. And, and there's less – when he's so good, there's just less conflict there. That's why Batman is more interesting. So, but, I mean, Superman has Lex Luthor, right? And you might think that, well, Lex Luthor is powerful. He's wearing his giant mechanical suit to go punch out Superman. But – um it seems to me that all Superman has to do is punch Lex Luthor once, and that's the end of Lex Luthor, and that's the end of our story. Yeah, when you get too powerful, it's the uh, it's the problem of of the uh, the X Men movie Days of Future Past is that um, you know you I don't know if you watched the How It Should Have Ended series. Uh, no, I haven't seen that yet. Okay, no. um, How It Should Have Ended is is great. It's an animated series uh, yeah. online, mm-hmm. and they look at each movie and they go. Well, this is how it should have ended. And um, with with Days of Future Past, once you have Quicksilver, it's like, oh, well, he can do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. could have. You know, he zips in and he takes Magneto's helmet off. Professor X says, "Yeah, don't do that, Magneto," and the movie's over. Yeah, and and it, in fact, the movie doesn't make any sense because of that. And that's what happens ultimately with Superman. That's why he gets his powers taken away. That's why he he's constantly in situations in which his powers essentially don't save the day. You know, the the hero to overcome the villain, the, the super villain has to be more powerful than the hero, or there's not conflict. There's not drama. It's not a good story. Is that? It- that I think that kind of falls outside of the the moral pornography discussion we're having well, into just storytelling. But. Right, but I mean, if you think about it, uh, you there's no way that Lex Luthor is going to be stronger than Superman. Right. So, in an answer to that, Superman has to have a lot of supervillains. Right. And that does kind of go into this discussion that that the authors talk about in this uh, super com- uh, superheroes uh, as moral pornography because they talk about in order to amp it up to make it more of a struggle. Uh, for our hero, you have to have more villains for that guy to the, the good guy or the good girl to beat up. Mm-hmm. And that does make things fairly unrealistic, right? I mean, that I mean, in a society, we expect there to be more good than evil. Right. Yeah. And and actually, that's the, the sort of ratio of supervillains to superheroes, you know, in. in in some ways, this gets gets back to pornography because, mm-hmm. um, you know, why isn't there one pornographic film, right? It's it's just sex. There could just yeah. be one porn movie and that's all you need. Well, mm-hmm. people like variety, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if it's the same thing over and over again, it gets boring. This is uh, – uh, John Cowalty talks about convention and invention. And if, if, you're, if your fiction gets too inventional, it, y- your audience doesn't understand what it is. And and a movie or a, a TV show. Think about Twin Peaks. It was too far out there. Yeah. Uh, when it came out, I remember watching it, thinking, uh, <laughs> I don't know what this is, but it's not television. Right. Right. But if it's too conventional, it's just boring. So you authors have to have 
a balance between of them between those two things. And having supervillains, I, I remember I got to the point where I I just kind of wanted to see new. This is when I was maybe ten or twelve. I wanted to see just new different powers. That mm. was my real mm-hmm. interest. It's mm-hmm. the only reason why I like the Flash because super, he got super speed, but 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 he can be invisible, but he can travel through time, but he can pass through a wall, but he can be in two places at once. It, it was one of the things that I liked about the Flash was the way that they took this one power and spun it off into so many different things. Right. And that, that's slightly different from Superman developing a new weird, you know, like he rips the Chevron off his chest and mm-hmm. throws yeah. it inside. Yeah. 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 What? You know, that's, that's just making, that's just the world of magic, but right. having a logical extension um, of the powers creates invention. And so the many supervillains provide, you know, the conventional formulaic battle, which then fits into the idea of the moral fantasy, the hero mm-hmm. wins, the universe mm-hmm. works. Um, and then, but you want to come back and do it again. And I think that's because um, this is a, there's a nice article on food porn in, uh, in the Atlantic. Um, and it talks about um, an interesting thing. Uh, let me get it here. Let me get it up, as it were. Um, <laughs> is that with with uh, pornography, you have a you have a physical reaction, right? It's a, right, right. Uh, pornography is is a super uh, super normal stimuli, like like candy, right? right? Candy is super normal stimuli, and, mm-hmm. and if, if with kids, candy is is actually a kind of intoxicating because yes. their 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 taste buds are so strong, right? You know, we're adults and our taste buds are all dying off, and so we like stronger and stronger flavors. But for kids, that can, that's why kids want candy yeah. because it's intoxicating. It, it's it's you know that. But the difference is that so it's a um, super concentrated turbocharged doses of more uh, natural sensory experiences, and you know the difference is that. Uh, you, when you eat sugar, right? It, it's taste, and you're getting that. Whereas pornography is purely visual. But of right, course, right. Um, uh, with pornography, you can you can make that happen yourself. Sure. Um, and with with food porn, it actually produces hunger in you, right? You mm-hmm. you, you get hungry, um, and just as eating can satisfy food porn. The hunger produced by food porn, masturbation can satisfy the desi- the desire produced by sexual pornography. But here's an interesting question: What satisfies the moral hunger produced by superhero stories? Well, and that's what I was going to go back to: is it seems like as your taste buds start to fade out, as your as you watch the same type of pornography again and again and again, you want something different. And so, for the superhero, it's got to be more violent, more bad, more evil. In order to produce that that trigger in our minds, it says, "Oh, I would never go that far." Yeah, exactly. That that that's that ramping up the uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a addi- you know, it's kind of an addiction thing. Mm-hmm. You build up a tolerance, and you need more. And that's that idea of of invention. And and actually, there was a South Park episode um, that dealt with that. Um, the uh, um, uh, when the internet went down. And uh, they needed to. It's called overloading. Oh right. And um, they, uh, one of the characters' father, um, 
goes kind of you know he yeah it goes a little crazy pornography just isn't enough it has to go up and up and up right right and and you see that you see that in in superhero comics it happened in a number of different ways you have one hero and then eh, that's not enough you need two heroes and then you know you have a team up then you have a superhero team and then you have multiple worlds and then they get more violent and so forth and and of course it comes in these pendulum swings where it, it goes maybe a little too far in one direction it comes back um, but that idea is rooted in, in, you know, studies of actual pornography, the idea mm-hmm. that, um, over time, uh, your, your brain, um, gets, uh, gets, you don't get a dopamine spike, right, right. right? That you, you, you need stronger. And this is one of the reasons why teen brains, uh, pornography is, is dangerous for, for teenagers. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a. There's a song called "Too Much Porno in My Formative Years," that uh, that ramping up is something that people argue happens, especially to teenagers, and and um, and that we have. To, that's why we have to be very careful about teenagers getting exposed to pornography because it can kind of ruin them. Pornography can ruin them for actual human sexuality right but i mean one i mean i I don't know studies seem to flip back and forth between violent video games is the same way or pornography is it good or is it bad but i mean it seems that in this idea of uh, comic books just as pornography and we kind of touched on this a, a couple of episodes ago where you have extreme body types uh, mm-hmm. you have the hero always winning just like in right. uh, pornography where Sex is always going to happen. No one gets turned down. Um, it, it seems like there could be uh, at some point a backlash uh, to the events going on into comic books. And, I, and I'm wondering, do you think that's going on right now in comic books? It seems like people, at least the the comments that, that I see a lot are, man, I'm so tired about all this violence and hyping up the violence and doing all these things. And then suddenly we get comic books like. Uh, Starfire or we get comic books like Bizarro or Lumberjanes or something like that that people just embrace and they're the total opposite of I'm dark I'm evil I must destroy things yeah absolutely and and part of it is you know audiences change um, things get too you know th- this happened the grim and gritty guy with a gun in, in the 1980s um, got boring um, mm-hmm. and and then the question is the, the 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 struggle is how do you how does the superhero enact uh, their mission without going overboard? And since that that temptation is there, and then that that becomes a dynamic, tension filled thing. How can they not go too far? Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I absolutely think that happens, and and people can get um, that's what um um. Marsh, uh, Mr. Marsh on uh, South Park learned. Right. He's right. like, you know, he, he came out at the end. He says, okay, only once a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was his, his, um, uh, the conclusion that he came to because when he did it, you do, they're arguing that if you do it more than that, it, it messes up your brain mm-hmm. and, uh, and then nothing gets kind of satisfied. It's sort of like the alcoholics thing about, you know, um, one drinks too many and a thousand's not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that happens. I think, though, that uh, you see, especially through technological changes, the, the kind of having having superheroes on TV 
offers something slightly different than having superheroes in comics and superheroes in movies are, are also slightly different um, for that. You get a different sort of brain jolt from, from each of the media. And so they can kind of uh, go through the same sort of cycles over and over again. But, you know, people are always saying that, um, you know, oh, superhero movies are dead and over there. They've gone. There's too much, you know, they're overblown. And uh, and I think that's that same I think that's that same reaction. How how far do you think it has to go? I mean, do you think we're at a point now, especially with after the Avengers 2, that it's like, I, I don't know if there's any other reason to do more superhero movies, because how can you top the. Excess that was in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't know if, if you I, I haven't seen the new Jurassic Park, but I, I imagine that 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 movie is an, a really amped up version of, of it the is. earlier ones. It is. You know? It is. Yeah. Um, my daughter was just watching the first <laughs> Jurassic Park movie and they didn't get too far into it, but they found it was boring. Mm. Uh, they hadn't gotten into the exciting stuff yet, but I thought. What that that's not you can't Jurassic <laughs> Park can't be boring. It's just that's impossible. But um that that sort of thing I I I do think happens. Um and to again, you know, connect it to the idea of moral pornography that um I think that the difference with food, you know, food pornography is satisfied by eating. Real pornography is satisfied. Sexual pornography is satisfied by masturbation or, right. or sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think moral pornography doesn't have a real world satisfaction. In other words, I don't think you watch Daredevil and then you want to go out and do something good necessarily. Although there have been studies that I've read about that that showed that after people consume a superhero story, then in in moral games, they actually perform better. So there is this kind of, I, although I don't have that in front of me, right? Um, but there is this. Uh, um, uh, Jude and Lawrence in the the Myth of the American Superhero talk about a Werther invitation. It's it's based upon uh, Goethe's novel, The Joys, The Sorrows of the Young Werther, where he committed suicide, and then mm-hmm. people all over Europe. This is the early 19th century committed suicide, and and it's this invitation. He ta- he connects that to um, vigilante um, violence and and so forth, and and I don't think that quite works because I think what happens is. That the story acts to satisfy itself, so and be, it, because we're seeing that, that's that's enough to know yeah. what's what's right and what's wrong. Right, because unlike food and sex, which are, uh, uh, they 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 have a physiological satisfaction. Right, right, right. Uh, moral pornography doesn't have a physiological satisfaction. It has it has a, an emotional satisfaction. And so when you come to the end of the story and you're emotionally satisfied, the drama, the, the drama is resolved, you get the moral payoff, um, that, that is the satisfaction of it. Um, and so, so I, I think that, that the moral pornography is slightly different from other kinds of pornography. Um, it's, it's like I, I read about the TV show Friends being described as time porn. Mm. Because even those of those characters worked, they had full time jobs. Right. What did they get to do? They got to hang out 
with their friends in the coffee shop, mm-hmm. right? And you know, you spend your day, and 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 it, there's some ways like friendship porn because, you know, let's say you don't have a lot of close friendships, but you, you, you watch How I Met Your Mother. It's this group of tight knit friends, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're having the kinds of relationships that we all wish that we had all the time, right? This, this really tight group of friends, you're with them all the time, you're, you're interacting with them, you're building meaning, and, 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 and then it happens every, time, every day, right? And that's a, con- a different kind of pornography. Um, and again, it is in some ways satisfying in and of itself, or as, as, and it, it's, it can be harmful because people can get pulled you know, too, too far away from reality, but sure. as Michael Stipe put it, Listening to songs about the internet doesn't do anything for the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that that is a difference is that the, the moral pornography, the stories themselves, the resolution in the story is the satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't have a, a physiological thing, or you get the physiological fulfillment. Right. So I'm wondering have, have there been any studies? Have there been any studies where you you take your group, your subjects, you have them read comics and then rate their satisfaction after reading that and then compare that to some index? I guess you'd have to de- create some index of evil to see if, you know, the moral the moral outcomes, uh, you know, satisfy, you know, if there's some way to create a correlation between, well, if we put this much evil in the comic where people are doing evil and the good guy wins at the end that has a greater satisfaction than say some ambiguous ending where perhaps the bad guy gets away or uh, the hero decides to give up or something like that. I, I, I don't know of any, I haven't read of anything like that. I, I know from um, looking at movies and the way movies end, you know, that, endings of movies that are ambiguous movies with ambiguous endings don't tend to do as well mm-hmm. at the movie theater um you look at uh um the film version of heart of darkness mm-hmm. apocalypse mm-hmm. now yeah the original ending was uh it just kind of went to black right and then they added in this napalming because mm-hmm. the audience didn't understand and then it was left up in the air whether or not they called in the airstrike successfully at the end. Right. And, um, you know, the same thing happens with um, uh, other other films. Um, uh, that Michael Douglas movie, Basic Instinct. Desire, oh, yeah, Basic uh, Instinct, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not Basic Instinct. I'm thinking of the one with um, Glenn Close. Oh, fa- fatal, uh, fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. Yeah. That, I think the original ending she wasn't punished and then they found that that audiences didn't respond to it as well and they so they ramped up this punishment scene at the end um and there are other movies like that where they change the ending to be much more clear cut because that's what the audience seems to want well um, as so- as someone who is the director of the Institute for Comic Studies i think this w- i think it might be an interesting i mean you've got some some research based on movies and based on television. It'd be interesting to see if you could take that and then apply it to, to comic books and figure out if that, if that correlation is, is still there. Yeah. 
Interesting. And it'd be, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I didn't do a, a search for that. It'd be interesting to see what kind of psychological studies there have been. Um, the the authors of the the uh, pornography article, Baumeister and, and Pizarro, mm-hmm. um, have done a fair amount of work. I looked up uh, Pizarro's publications, and you know he's actually the person to ask about this because okay. I think he had I think he had an article. That fit with what you were talking about, actually. Um, I, moral masochism on the connection between guilt and self-punishment. Oh, it was, here it is, the one that I'm thinking of. Uh, dirty liberals. Reminders of cleanliness promote conservative political and moral attitudes. Huh. Um, that's not exactly what you're talking about. Right, right. But the idea of of how the portrayal of something um, makes people feel and, and that, that, that gets into this, this, this sense of framing. Um, when you're, when your frame is activated, you can, you, you become much more clear. There's a, um, George Lakoff in uh, don't think of an elephant talks about two basic frames that operate in politics is strict father morality and the nurture and parent morality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, basically corresponds to, to conservative and liberal. So conservative, strict father morality, liberals, nurture and parent morality. And when you're afraid, you tend to shift towards the strict father morality. And, hmm. you know, um, Pizarro uh, also has an article, this is from the New York Times op-ed, all politics is olfactory. And um, Interesting. Uh, conservatives are more easily disgusted than liberals. And so uh, how disgust influences moral, social, and legal judgments. Interesting. So I, I, I think that it's, things it, that you're saying that yeah, because it, has done this. Yeah, because if you said, I mean, uh, there's almost like a um, a priming going on with, with the way something is phrased or the way that someone would read something or interpret something. Because if you said a, a dirty hippie, that, that puts something into your mind that you're primed for mm-hmm. to then move over to the uh, I, I guess the more conservative side yeah. of of things, and if they if you're doing that exact same thing in comic books, then you're priming the reader to do exactly what you want to do in 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 a story that's that's well crafted. Uh, you yeah. know, not all stories are able to do that, and maybe they don't care about that. I I think uh, Eric Larson was on Twitter this past week, and if it wasn't Eric, then I don't mean to attribute it to him. But essentially, he said uh, there are people who don't don't understand that. Uh, comics as a um, business or as a commercial endeavor is quite a bit different than comics as, as an art and, uh, you know, people who create comics as, as an artistic endeavor, Mm -hmm. kind of meaning that, you know, we don't have to, I don't know if he meant to say that we have to have meaning behind everything. Sometimes a story is just a story. um, But it seems like something that uh, stretches more onto the art side has a better way of priming somebody for a desired result. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah. especially in comics. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about that that dirty thing, you know, what dirty hippie, dirty mm-hmm. commie, mm-hmm. you don't have you don't have a dirty um I'm trying to think of a of a conservative uh a, a shorthand for <laughs> dirty, you know, fascist. You don't even get dirty yeah, fascist, you, actually. Yeah. Uh you might get dirty Nazi, but uh dirty there's no that that uh that sense of of moral opprobrium at 
is marked by dirt mm-hmm. really has a kind of conservative frame to it. Yeah. Um, that, uh, 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 that does, that can then prime, um, well, I prime think it, the response. Yeah. yeah. Prime the response. And I think it would ultimately then prime the satisfaction level in the reader mm-hmm. to say, yes, I enjoyed that because, oh, look how bad that guy was and look how he got it, got got yeah. his uh, just rewards in that. Yeah, that's 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 fascinating to to do this. Uh, you know, you sent me this chapter and this is from the book, uh, Our Relationship with Superheroes, correct? Our Superheroes Ourselves. Our Superheroes Ourselves. Uh, this was chapter two. Superhero comics is moral pornography. When I was reading through this, I, and this is the amping up the number of, of superheroes or supervillains and superheroes um, that basically I found this. Uh, I don't find the exact quote here, but basically it was. In a regular fight, heroes should only be winning forty percent of the time. No, if they won forty percent of the time. Oh, if they were, would be, okay, that would be a lot. Okay. Yeah, that's. Uh, I found that interesting. Yeah, and and if anybody's interested in this, if if you're on academia.edu, which probably only I am, <laughs> um, you know, it's available as a, a academia.edu is really interesting because people load their work mm-hmm. in there and it's a lot, it's downloadable um, as PDFs. Uh, it's, it's, it's people share, it's kind of a social networking site for uh, academics. Um, but it, it is available as a download for anybody who is on academia.edu and you may be able to just, just download it. You have to, you have to uh, join the community. Of, uh, I, I, but, don't, uh, I think maybe at one point I was signed into that just because yeah. of my previous job. So I may have access yeah. to, to more um, of those kinds of things. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so these things, I was saying is these things are out there and mm-hmm. now I've actually lost track of what, uh, what you were no, saying. No, no, exactly. I was just, it was just that, that 40%. Yeah. Uh, I found was, was very interesting. And the fact that, and if we wanted to go a little bit further, how you have to, to ramp up the, uh, the number of, uh, you know, super villains who have to fight the superhero going back to that moral pornography or the pornography um, discussion. It almost yeah. seems like the same thing happens in uh, the pornographic film yeah. where you have to have more and more people interacting uh, to amp up that, that pleasure level. Yeah, actually that was uh did, did you see that show um, party down? No. Okay. Well, they go to the party now. It's fantastic. It's on. Um, I think it's on Hulu. It's on Netflix too right now. I think um, it's it's got uh, Adam Scott in it. It's got um, Lizzie Kaplan. Uh, um, it's got a lot of really good actors that that you'll recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they work at a catering service. And so each week they go to a different party and and uh, and they have interactions with the people there and, and and it's 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 a great great show but they're at the porn awards and one of the characters uh talks about this inflation porn inflation she said mm, when mm-hmm. she started you know it was just uh, you know man and woman and now it's and she goes into some detail about what's involved now right um that she has to do uh, to make it in the porn industry and mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, you're right. Is that that kind of? If you look, you know, Superman didn't have supervillains for his first year. Yeah, he just fought for the regular guy. Regular bust, guy fought. busted up, busted up. Uh, well, not unions, but you know, busted up the uh, the people that were the union breakers. 
Yeah, no, actually, he did. Uh, he did go after a corrupt union. Oh, okay. Um, taxi drivers, and 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 he went after you know bad drivers, which is everybody in Metropolis. Because <laughs> yeah, if he if he and if he kept going that way, and there's you know he, he got the destroyed the slums. If he kept going that way, he would be this um, this tyrant figure because mm-hmm. um, you know what's the, the my favorite one of my favorite scenes in, in I think it's actually comics number six when he when he takes on bad drivers is there's this there's this wealthy man. You know, he has a phone in his home, which in the 1930s, that was really expensive. Right. It would, it would have cost you, Downton Abbey, they would have spent thousands of dollars a year to have that phone, evidently. Wow. It was really expensive. Um, uh, you know, the equivalent of thousands of dollars at the time. Mm-hmm. So, and there's this guy saying, my car is on the roof of my garage. And there's, this is, this person wasn't driving. He's not a bad driver. He's wealthy. So, he would not have had a, a poorly maintained car. A- at the worst, maybe it was parked incorrectly, although I suspect this guy, he has a garage, so he would probably have space to park it. Maybe he's parked in the street. Oh, yeah. But it's just Superman has gone berserk, has mm-hmm. gone way too far. If even that person's whatever minor transgression or maybe no transgression, right? So that's one of the things that a supervillain does is a supervillain provides what i call bigger indian so that that indians against the 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 western in the western frontier stories you know cowboy stories mm-hmm. um that that when you go to john carter and and it gets science fiction the indians get literally bigger the martians are right. 18 feet tall right? right right he goes from fighting red men on a green planet to fighting green men on a red planet it's mm-hmm. you know and and that that idea you see that in the ee e. doc smith stories of the skylark series where they there's a human and then they a uh, bad guy and 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 then they go up in outer space and there's this one kind of two races fighting against each other but then they're really part of these intergalactic empires and it just keeps ramping up and up the indians keep getting bigger mm-hmm. because that gives the that allows the for story inflation it allows to continue to build drama um and then you see that with you know, Iron Man started out with just Iron Man, and then you start adding, and now, how can you tell? The problem with the next Avengers movie is they, they you know, they're getting rid of some of the characters, right? But in the in the last one, I liked it. I thought that Joss Whedon did a really good job with what he was given. Mm-hmm. But you know, to have to fit in how many characters? Oh yeah. Did he have to fit in? Each one had to get a little bit of coverage, at mm-hmm. least. Each one had to advance a, just slightly. Something had to go on. And, uh, you know, I can see why he doesn't want to make Avengers <laughs> 3, because he, 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 where are you going to go? And well, I mean, I and, and, go. well, yeah, and then I guess that leads into the Civil War issue of, well, there's no longer supervillains to fight, because how can you go worse than a, you know, sentient robot? That, yeah. uh, you know, destroyed, you know, lifted a part of the planet and slammed it back down. Well, now you have to go heroes against heroes. And they did do, I thought, a fairly good job in that movie of asking that question. Who is morally right? Is Steve Rogers attitude morally right or is Tony Stark's attitude the morally right? And so then it's asking the audience to um, to make that choice, even though they don't really answer it in that movie. But it obviously comes to a head. When we look at at the Civil War storyline and should all superheroes register, should they not register? And I guarantee you that the big just like in the comic books when Civil War was going on, it's going to be for the movie. Whose side are you on Yeah, to spurn that 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 moral debate of, well, which 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 is right, which is not right. And which am I going to 
get the greater pleasure out of. Yeah. And, and I think with the sort of moral pornography issue is that because uh, Pizarro and Baumeister talk about this at the end, they say that uh, evil, you know, uh, has been portrayed as, um, um, where is it? Oops. Uh, let's see. Um, this in the insight that in the real world there are no villains. No one right. actually sets out to do evil. Right. Right. They're madmen. Each of these people believes he's doing what's necessary, or even good. Um, this insight represents a shift in our understanding of evil. The fact that most people do, who do evil do not regard themselves or their actions as evil right. leads to the importance for social science to move away from the question of evil in its classic form, why does evil exist, and towards a different set of questions, such as an understanding of the situational forces that allow normal people to act in ways that many would consider evil. So you're going from uh, – in the first Avengers movie, you have an invasion. Mm-hmm. You have an alien invasion – Loki's an alien e- enemy commander. It's a classic defend our tribe. And this is this is the morality of Gilgamesh. This is the morality of Beowulf, right? Mm-hmm. In, in Beowulf, morality is being brave, loyal, and courageous. Wait, uh, I've got it here. The morality of Beowulf is... Is... Uh, here it is. Um, bravery, honor, and loyalty. As as morals in Beowulf, mm-hmm. um, it, those and those are not. That's not morals the way we think about it, right? That's not good or evil. Um, right. This is this is what uh, Bill Maher pointed out after nine eleven, and he got he got I think he got a show yanked for this. Mm-hmm. Um, he said you can't call the, the the hijackers. You can't call them cowards. What they did was not cowardly, right? They were they put themselves at great risk. And and did this thing that took a lot of bravery. It's reprehensible, right. but it's not cowardly. So mm-hmm. that's not that's not a moral. The, the, the epics like that have have you know the Odyssey is not a really about morality, right? So superhero comics. And that's what the first Avengers movie was about. Mm-hmm. You're going to defend yourself against these invaders because. They're different from you. It's right. genocide, and right. so. And then the second one uh, kind of dealt with more. Again, it was about survival, though, right? But there is. It went up a little bit, and then the third one is going to deal with a thing that's less clear cut. You mm-hmm. know, it's freedom versus security, right? And it's 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 we're obviously living through it right now. There are there are people who believe that uh, you know the government needs to be allowed to spy on us and there's people who believe that the government should be prevented from spying on us. So that's an active thing, but not neither one is, you know, is right. If they could have stopped 9/11 by having knowing my phone records, right. would I say those three my right to privacy, you know, those 3,000 people and then all the thousands of people who have died as, as a result of the, the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and mm-hmm. and and you know what's going on with ISIS right now and all that stuff yeah, absolutely. You can have my phone records. I don't care. Um, on the other hand, you know, the idea of living in a surveillance state where, uh, you know, that's that's East Germany, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they had a perfect surveillance state, and it was mm-hmm. it's horrible what it did right, to people. Right. Um, so neither side is wrong, and that's what Pizarro and, uh, um, uh, and I, Baumeister talk about at the end. That yeah, that 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 complexity. Um, and they say that that 
comic book style images of, of evildoers in the end make this task difficult, the task of understanding those situational forces. I, I disagree with that because I think that the, that the, the formulaic, the, the moral fantasy, the, I, I don't think it has maybe re- real world effects, but I don't know. I, I don't know either, but I think that, that that last little bit that you read, though, uh, kind of goes right back to the beginning of my question that I had a couple of weeks ago is, does Lex Luthor see himself as evil? And he doesn't. It's a, it's really a matter of perspective uh, when you're coming to more of these real world questions. And that's why there is no in the real world, no definitive, you know, bad or, you know, evil or good. And it's all a matter of which which way you're looking at it. And I I think that is it goes into the heart of 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 the morals right uh so i think though that should hopefully give our listeners something to chew on and something to think about uh over the next couple of weeks yeah uh, so uh speaking of the next couple of weeks are you headed off to san diego comic-con this year i am absolutely and uh gosh it's only about three weeks from yeah, now three weeks like away and, coming um, up very quick Actually, the uh, if anybody's going, um, the Comics Arts Conference were you know uh, ten to three every day down, and I think uh, thirty AB, um, something like that. But we have T-shirts, oh, so okay. if you go to the um, Comic Con site, if you type in Comic Con San Diego Comic Con T-shirts, um, you'll see this year's shirt. If if anybody goes and they do pre-order and you. Uh, do pre-order because yeah they'll um, run out very quickly well they run out sometimes our t-shirts have sold out <laughs> oh, cool. ahead of time and um and we have uh great ones this year you can pre-order your shirts and uh the the, the shirt it's a it's kind of a blue gray and on the back it says so on the front it has our, our little logo um the brick flying through the air and on the back it has uh, this year we're going with Guardians of the Academy, <laughs> and it says I am Gronstein, <laughs> which is you know play on I am Gr- Gronstein yeah, yeah. is uh, Theory Gronstein who's written some uh, some uh, big old theory books on on comics. And Interesting. So, um, we're we're really happy any, about uh, about that. Any highlights? Any panel highlights that people should be looking for? You know, or can I you should, not talk about that yet? Oh, I can absolutely talk about it. In fact, I think that they um, – I, I know that's that a good question. They haven't if, officially released anything as of this recording. I think next week is when they, if they release released everything. If they haven't released the recording, then no, I can't talk about okay. it. Okay. All right. Um, if they haven't released the, uh, the schedule, The schedule, yeah. They, they, they haven't. They always – and legitimately so. They want um, that to come from them. It's, it's uh, you know, their – their event and uh i completely agree with that so yeah i i actually hadn't seen that we usually get an email saying it's okay okay you know but yeah, they okay. don't want uh they don't want people tweeting and and uh and well there, there'll certainly be something and i know one of the things that you've done in, in past years is uh students come for academic credit yes and uh they go around and they do some research on the show floor and then they come back and they write or at least present uh their findings yeah at the end of the convention on sunday afternoon yeah, Matt Smith, who's a professor at Wittenberg, uh, does that. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually did a published a book called "It It Happened at Comic Con." Cool. Yeah. Excellent. All right, uh, Doctor Coogan. Any other presentations that you're giving? I'm, I think probably Comic Con is taking up most of your time. Yeah, it's gonna. That's um, everything I'm doing right now. I just like I said, I just did that one on Nazis. I would be doing one with the uh, 
the uh, county library here, St. Louis is doing, uh, um, the county library system is having a, a day on comics uh, coming up in July, but I'm going to be out of town. So, and, and what would you talk about there? Well, I was going to talk about how to read comics as sequential art. Ah, okay. All and right. so I, if anybody is in, is in St. Louis and is interested in going to that, I'm going to give them a PowerPoint of my talk that will just be running on computers. But um, I think that's about the 23rd or 24th of July sometime ah, okay. in there. Okay. Um, but we can we, – that's something we, we can uh, talk about. Yep. And um, – yeah, that's my only uh, thing coming up. All right, so. Dr. Peter Kukin, thank you so much for your time. Yep, you too. All right. That wraps it up for this installment of the Major Spoilers Podcast. I hope you found that interesting. Uh, and certainly, as I said just a few moments ago, it totally put into perspective a lot of things that I was asking a couple of weeks ago on Finally Friday about Let's Do Evil. And uh, several of you who who watch the show weekly, and I really encourage you if, if – uh, if you listeners want to get in on our live show, finally Friday, it happens at 3.30 p.m. Central Time, 3.30 p.m. Central Time on Fridays. Live call-in show. Sometimes we have guests, and you can call in and ask them questions. Uh, recently, we had uh, Bill Duran on talking about cosplay. We had uh, Jason Inman from the Red Shirt Diaries on there and also from DC All Access on there a couple of weeks ago. And sometimes it's general topic stuff like the the question of, of morals and, and uh, how we portray our villains. And I really love it when all of you call in. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, I would encourage you to do so. And uh, you can find it on YouTube. You'll find it on the Major Spoilers website. Our YouTube channel, again, is Major Spoilers Video. So uh, I hope you found that discussion as fascinating as I did. And and hopefully it made you think a little bit differently about how you're reading comics and perhaps why the violence continues to be amped up uh, from the bad guy's perspective um, and, and a whole lot more. Uh as Dr. Coogan said, this book is probably only available through educational outlooks, but I'm sure you can find other uh, books on the subject of comic books and morality over at our Amazon link by clicking on that and going over to Amazon.com. And if you do find a book over there, uh, of course, every time you make a purchase through that Amazon link, a little bit comes back our way and allows us to do shows like this again and again and again. Uh, I did finally hear back from Matthew. Uh, he was taking some uh, medication, uh, I think, for a cold or something that he has. And uh, it completely knocked him out. And so that's why he wasn't on the show uh, this week to uh, to talk with Dr. Goon. But we'll get him back again really soon. Thank you to our major spoilers VIPs from around the world. Without you guys' support and gals' support, everybody's support, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And uh, I'll be I'll be completely honest with you. I mean, your support means a lot to me. It means a lot morally. It means a lot mentally. Uh, it allows me knowing that there are that many of you who support what we do and want us to produce more. Uh, it's what gets me out of the bed in the morning and down here and working, uh, posting articles, recording podcasts, editing content uh, for you guys week after week. And I think it really is the same way. And I, I don't want to speak for everybody else at Major Spoilers, but I think it is the same way for them as well. And I would certainly love to hire Matthew full time and Zach full time and Rodrigo full time. And we can uh, with your with your support. Uh, you can head over to members.majorspoilers.com. You can find out more information about um, the uh, the membership levels. Uh, it's very simple. A two dollar, a five dollar or ten dollar a month recurring donation really, really helps us out. Depending on your level of uh, contribution, then uh, you end up getting access to additional bonus content over there at the members uh, site. So thank you again so much for um, for those of you that help us out. It, again, it really means a lot to me and to everybody else. 
next week. I don't know what we're doing next week. I think next week is a general co- another general topic thing. I know a lot of you like that, so we'll see what happens. Otherwise, we'll be back to our regular shenanigans really soon. Take care. Keep reading comics because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's revision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.